All right. So this grace. And I hope your holidays were actually holy days that you enjoyed and were maybe rem reminded once again about how blessed we are to have the grace of God. And you realize, of course, that celebrating the resurrection and uh, his triumphal entry and all of that wouldn't have mattered a bit had it not been that God reached down in his grace and provided that so that we could have a relationship with him. His grace takes center stage and it provides a kaleidoscope of blessings. Leslie, there's a um, fill-in form, a lesson guide back there if you'd like one. So uh, let's listen to the words of Psalm 103, verses 10 through 13. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And in 2 Peter 1.3, it tells us that it's his grace that uh, provides everything we need, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It says his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And as we've seen before, it's his grace that provides his righteousness, his resources, and his realm at Christ's expense. So I entitled today's lesson, This Grace, and I want to spend the bulk of our time looking at the verse that's at the top of your lesson guide, which is Romans 5, 1, and 2, which reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. When we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. And the word justified, I put there on your sheet, is a legal term that means to be acquitted, as in a court setting when the attorneys um, present all the facts in a way that proves a person is righteous, they're without blame, and they are acquitted of all charges. And that's what happens to us when we are in Christ Jesus. When we stand before the judge, we won't be found guilty. We will be acquitted because we stand in Christ. <laughs> I don't even think we're going to feel guilty, and here's why. Because I think at that moment that we are standing before the throne of God in Christ, we will be so overwhelmed with the knowledge of who we are in him that there will be no room for guilt. Amazing. God is not a God of guilt. No. He's a God of conviction. But if this life is over and we are before the judge and he says there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ, we are blessed beyond blessed. 
but uh, I'm not sure that we would feel guilt at that moment. We might feel a sense of humility that we have never felt before. And I, I have a feeling that that sense of humility is what drops us to our knees, not the guilt. At least that's the way I'd like to think about it. <laughs> so, um, praise God. We are going to be acquitted from everything that could be brought against us. All those things that Satan stands right now and says, look what she's doing. Look what she's doing. Look what she's doing. And Jesus says, nuh-uh-uh. Paid for. Already done taking care of that. That's all for our benefit. And when I think of that word justification, I can't help but picture those scales of justice that they always have at the courthouse. Yeah. You know, those plates that are either in balance or out of balance. And um, when we put God onto one side of that plate with all of his righteousness and all of his perfectness and all of his holiness, it, the weight of it causes that scale to tip. And there is not a single thing that you or I can do to try and get ours <laughs> to measure up to what his side of the scale looks like. But then Jesus comes and he picks us up and we in Christ stand on that scale perfectly balanced because Christ is the standard. And so we see that God and Christ are one and he holds us in perfect balance. There's nothing that we could do on our own to even that out. It's only in Christ that that happens. Paul's already pointed out that we would be justified earlier on in the book of Romans. So if you would, turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. He's just talked about all his sin and falls short of the glory of God. And then look at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And you have those blanks to fill in there on your lesson guide. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That position in Christ is so important for us. So how were we justified? What does verse 24 say we were justified? How were we justified in that? Uh -huh. by, his grace. by his grace and it was a gift right so it was a gift of his grace and it's this grace that we now stand in we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness and we stand in this grace ready to do his will hopefully flip over to Romans 5 8 and 9 Someone want to read that for me? Five verses eight and nine. But God commendeth his love toward us, 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wow. Saved from wrath. That's um, something that we can all be thankful for there. And justified. We have been justified by his blood and saved from the wrath of God. That's a very good thing to be saved from. Uh, this justification has never been based on what we have done. It's only been based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we just celebrated, that blood was costly. That blood took him to a cross in obedience. He alone was able to reconcile us to God's holiness, parlaying peace. It says we have peace with God now. Parlaying peace to through the only one who could provide it. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith met grace. And the result was we were justified. As we see reading on in verses 10 and 11 of this same chapter, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We were enemies, but now, because of his grace, our justification reconciles us to a place of being at peace with God, and we are no longer at war with him. So what does it say our reconciliation to God comes from in those verses there? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through... Through Jesus. Uh-huh. Through his death. Mm -hmm. And then we were saved by his life. The Lord Jesus Christ is who saved us, who reconciles us. In these verses, we find that, that another big word, <coughs> reconciled. And <coughs> you see I put the Greek on there because... Basically, I don't speak Greek. <laughs> so in my best Greek impression, katalagentes looks, um, the, the definition is on your sheet, and it means to reestablish proper, friendly, interpersonal relations after these have been disrupted or broken. So it's reestablishing proper, friendly, interpersonal relations after these have been disrupted or broken. You know, I, I had some friends that um, went to our church. She, she was actually my first woman's ministry director. And she and her husband divorced when the kids were in high school and junior high. And they were divorced for 13 years. But then... They were reconciled, and they remarried after 13 years. That proper interpersonal relation that had been disrupted or broken was now fixed. And the root word here comes 
from katalasso to make right, to change or exchange. Now, I know the language doesn't appeal to a lot of people, but it makes a difference in the way we look at things here. So the word katalasso is a aorist tense, which means it's a point in time. So at a point in time, passive, the subject was acted upon. So you or I were acted upon. And the indicative is the mood of reality, which means it's a fact. So when you tie all of that together, at a point in time, we were acted upon to have that right relationship um, bonded or reconciled to God, and that's a fact. Through our faith, don't forget it all started with faith, We met his grace, and then we were, at a point in time, restored or reconciled to a proper, friendly, interpersonal relation that had been disrupted or broken. And when we put that together, we see his grace is what reconciles us and brings us to that point. It's a fact we can count on. That's what the indicative mood means. We can count on the fact that he has done his part to reconcile us. The moment we put our faith in his grace of Christ, we were reconciled. So we were justified and we were reconciled. Now, um, there is nothing we could do for ourselves in that regard. We've mentioned that before because he's a holy God. So it had to be one who could make that exchange for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 tells us, For as in Adam all die, so also all will be made alive in Christ. Because Adam's sin was imputed to each one of us. But when Christ died on that cross... Our sins were imputed to him. So we come to the other word, imputed. And that means to charge to one's account. So Adam's sin was charged to all mankind's account. Every single man, child, woman, boy, girl, we were all born with a sinful nature because of Christ, or because of Adam's imputed sin to us. And we've seen before that the sin was passed down through the male, and that is why Jesus had to be um, born of a virgin birth, because he was born of the spirit, not of man, where he would carry on that sinful nature. So he is the one that is charged with the account of our sin. And Luke 23, verse 34. Uh, that's not what I'm looking for. The wrong verse. 
34. That makes more sense. In verse 34 of chapter 23, it says, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. So not only have we been forgiven, we've been justified, we've been reconciled, and we've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And we find this that forgiveness is just one more facet of that kaleidoscope of the grace of God. Because Jesus sets up this example for us to forgive others. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Verses 12 to 14. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then if we look down at verse 21 and 22, it reads, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In verse 14, the word forgiveness means to remove guilt resulting from wrongdoing, to pardon to release from a debt or from something owed. In our desperate state, Jesus asks the Father to release us from the responsibility of our debt, a debt that nailed him to the cross. And he asks for us to be released from the penalty of that that was justifiably ours. And in God's love and mercy, we were forgiven. There's a Bible dictionary called Lonida, and it has this to say. It's extremely important to note that the focus is upon the guilt of the wrongdoer and not upon the wrongdoing itself. The event of wrongdoing is not undone, but the guilt resulting from such an event is pardoned. To forgive, therefore, means essentially to remove the guilt re resulting from wrongdoing. Some languages make a clear distinction between guilt and sin, and terms for forgiveness are therefore related to guilt and not to the wrongdoing. Therefore, to forgive sins is literally to forgive guilt. Though terms for forgiveness are often literally to, quote, wipe out, to blot out, or to do away with, end quote, it is obviously not possible to blot out or to wipe out an event, but it is possible to remove or obliterate the guilt. The conscience of our sin and the choices that we make are still there. We're still going to have to um, suffer the consequences of the choices that we make. But in Christ, the guilt over that sin is what is removed. As far as the East is from the West, we're told, we've been forgiven. One of my favorite stories is found in Luke 7, where uh, Jesus is at the home of the Pharisee. And in comes a woman with a reputation of a sinner. 
I'm going to read that story real quick, actually, because I just think it's so full of blessings to see. So it's chapter 7 of Luke, verses 36 through 50. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Can you imagine just being known as a sinner? Yeah. But that's her reputation. That's who she is. She's known as a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Did you notice she couldn't even stand to face him? She stood behind him and was kneeled down behind him. She couldn't even look in his face. That's the humility that we were talking about earlier. Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, Is this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, and she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both of them. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. You see, it wasn't so much that he was in the house of the Pharisee who was supposedly righteous. <laughs> and it wasn't so much that this sin sinful woman came in. It was that the Pharisee did not understand when we've been forgiven, what that means for us. And I hope that we, like this woman, will know the great debt that we've been forgiven. Because it doesn't matter whether it's a small sin or a big sin. Either way, it separates us from God. And so that separation is what is being reconciled here. And it's the forgiveness that she's been given that is um, what we're looking at as far as the forgiveness of, of what it costs. Good morning. Come on in what it costs, and then what it means to us in response. Good morning and welcome. So the point of the story is who loves Jesus more? The one who's been forgiven a little or been forgiven a lot? It shouldn't really matter. But for us who know that we've been forgiven so much, it should make us love him all the more. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Jesus is our prime example of forgiving others. He didn't just give us grace and give us forgiveness to hold to ourselves. We're supposed to give that grace and forgiveness to others as well.
All of us are sinners. All of us need the forgiveness of God. All of us need the grace that we've been extended. And all of us need to accept it by faith. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So what does it tell us that we have in Christ in this verse here? Redemption through his blood. Mm-hmm. Redemption. Yep. We've received his forgiveness. And it's not according to a stingy God. It's according to the riches of our God that he lavishes on us. He just doesn't dole it out a little bit here, a little bit there, making you want more. He lavishes it on us. It's that in that same grace, this grace, that we are to grace others. Doesn't always come easy to us. It didn't come easy to Jesus either. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was bruised for our sin. But when we're walking in this grace and we give grace to others, we are being Christ to them. And so often we get so caught up in the moment that we forget that we are to grace that other person that is causing us problems. Good morning. Your um, lesson dies right there. So we are supposed to grace others the way that we have been graced. And that is lavishing it on them. It's not being stingy and saying, well, today I'm going to give you grace. Tomorrow I'm not going to. You have pushed the line a little bit too far. That's as far as I go. I am not giving any more grace to you. God continues to lavish it on us. Look back at Colossians chapter 1. And this time we're going to read verses 19 through 22. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. It says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, in Christ Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him, before God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So what were we before we received his grace? In these verses, what does it tell us in Verses 19 through 22. What were we before? Okay, we were alienated. What else? Enemies. 
What about this hostile in mind? I, when I read that I, and was studying it, I thought of myself as a young child. And I could hear myself saying as a young child, I'm not hostile in mind to God. And then the next breath I'm saying, I do it myself. <laughs> because I was hostile to God. I just didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> so what else were we? Anything else in that? Oh, we were engaged in evil deeds. Engaged in evil deeds. You know, I told you before, some of you know, um, that I told my parents at the age of five that I knew I needed a Savior. But there were some things I wanted to do first. <laughs> and um, I don't know what those things were, because at the age of nine, I finally gave in because he would not let go of me. He kept, kept coming back to me saying, you need to be my child. Um, but anyway, there were some things I thought I wanted to do, and I was going to engage in some evil deeds, so I couldn't accept Christ yet, but I don't know what those evil deeds were. I didn't, didn't do those things that I know of anyway, but anyway, um, he is the one that graces us into that conviction that we feel. It's his grace that convicts us. And our mind as a child is completely focused on ourself. Sadly, a lot of adults, a lot of my time, I find completely absorbed in myself instead of being absorbed in the mind of Christ. So when we think about this being hostile in mind, just the fact that our focus is on ourself, we have placed our Self in the position of God in our life and not given him his rightful place, we are hostile in mind to God because we have set someone else up as God in our life, even if it is ourself. And at some point in time, we all find ourselves face to face with the fact that we have acted hostile in mind against God. On your uh, listener guide there, um, lesson guide, the word for hostile means pertaining to being at enmity with someone, being an enemy and in opposition to. And that's what Paul says we were. But look at verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. So what are we then now from that verse? We are reconciled. We are, Lorna, did I hear you say holy? Holy, blameless. Anything else? Oh, beyond reproach. Don't you love that? Beyond reproach. 
Satan stands there condemning us for any act that we do. And, Satan, and Jesus says, nope, she's mine. She is beyond reproach. Wow, what a good God we have. Amen. So our position in Christ makes all the difference in the world. It's only his grace that could initiate that reconciliation and forgiveness. We've been reconciled, we've been forgiven, and as we saw earlier, we have been justified. All because of our position in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 5 through 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed it to the word of, to us, the word of reconciliation. So, these verses say that because you've accepted Christ, we are what? We are new creatures. When you look at this scripture a little deeper, you find out that it was at the moment of our salvation that we were birthed spiritually. The Holy Spirit births in us a Holy Spirit that he can indwell, and it makes us new. We were body and soul, but now we are body, soul, and spirit. And because of that, we are new. We're different than the world. Amen. We are no longer Amen. like we were before. Amen. We are changed. And once that was done, we were restored to God's perfect creation of man. You remember when he created Adam and Eve, he created them body, soul, and spirit. But then sin entered in, and their spirits died. And since then, every single person has been born spiritually dead, apart from Jesus Christ, who was born of the Spirit and of woman, not of man. So this, the word there in, therefore, if any was in, what is in Christ Jesus in verse 17 there are four different classes of the word if. This one, it, it, it's equivalent to the word since. That would be our English word. So since you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Amen. That's how that is, is supposed to read. So we were restored to God's original plan and now our body, soul, and spirit. So all of these things that tells us in verse 18 came from who? Through Jesus Christ, but who did they come from? 
and God. Yeah, comes from God through Jesus Christ. So God, the Father, initiates this plan. Jesus Christ comes and fulfills the plan. And because of that, we stand in grace. And it is um, a blessing that we have to learn to understand because it will change the way we behave. When you believe it, your actions will show it. And if we realize the grace that we're standing in, we won't be the ones who are taking advantage of the grace like Paul was talking about in, in to the church at one point. He says, so do we just abuse grace? Do we just abound in sin all the more? And he says, no, may it never be. But we understand the grace so that we can grace others. And that's what it, we need to learn through the process. So they're all from God through Jesus Christ to himself. And he didn't count our trespasses against us. He charged those to the account of Jesus Christ who reconciled us. So what ministry do we now have? What are we supposed to be doing now? Ambassadors. We are ambassadors, correct. So the job of helping others seek that same reconciliation with God we are ambassadors for Christ, speaking as though God were speaking through us. Wow. Don't miss the heaviness of that verse. Speaking as though it were God speaking through us. That is what we have the blessing to do. We have the ability to go to someone in the work of the Holy Spirit and say to them, God loves you and he wants to have you be in fellowship with him. He wants to have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And to explain that to them is such a, an incredible ministry. To be an ambassador means to represent the king. And that is what we are to be doing so that they can be reconciled to God as well. The word reconciliation is on here at the beginning of the thing. And we went over that already, but I just want to re-edify. To re-establish proper, friendly, interpersonal relations after they have been disrupted or broken. Every human has been disrupted or broken from a relationship with God. And we need that reconciliation. It's not easy with humans. Um, we're so human. <laughs> It's not easy to reconcile with people. Um, it wasn't easy for Jesus either. He suffered an awful lot as he bore our sins on the cross so that there could be reconciliation between man and God and that relationship could be restored. He asked the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he leaves us with the instruction that we are to be ministers of reconciliation also ambassadors representing him to the world around us. Sometimes that means intentionally speaking to others about him. We are to be ready to take every opportunity that the Lord provides. Amen. Be ready in season and out of season. And that is how we're to walk with God so closely that we know when his spirit is saying, open your mouth, <laughs> say some words. And then there is just walking as children of light. If people see us walking differently than they walked, they will 
kind of wonder what's going on here. I don't know how many men my husband brought to the Lord on the job site by just being a godly man. Because in construction, there were a lot of people who saw a difference in him. And they came to him and said, what is going on here? What? Why don't you say things you shouldn't be saying? And there were several men that came to the Lord just by him living and walking out his Christian faith. Now, when those opportunities came and someone was doing something, he had one guy in particular that uh, was living with his girlfriend. And the guy just couldn't get he couldn't understand why all these things were happening to him, for one thing, because all these bad things kept happening. He couldn't understand it. So Bobby was talking to him, well, why, what, what's going on in your life? And as he started asking the man questions, he was able to point out the sin that was separating him from God. And the guy didn't even realize it was sin because the whole world was doing it. And so as he talked to him, it, then the man finally accepted Christ a couple of days later. And those things happen as we are in tune with his spirit so that the spirit can lead us and guide us to be ready when someone asks a question of us or when we see something that we wouldn't normally have maybe caught. The Holy Spirit can make us aware of it and we can then share with the people and we can reconcile them to God, hopefully, um, through the words. But... I always think of St. Francis of Assisi. He once said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And some of us, I was one of them, I admit it. I have spoken out in places I shouldn't have spoken out, times I shouldn't have spoken out that actually drove a wedge instead of brought reconciliation because I did it under my own righteousness and my own power rather than waiting on the Lord. But preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Whichever way the Spirit leads, we know that God gives us all that we need through His grace, God's righteousness, His resources and realm at Christ's expense. We know that we have everything supplied to us that will help others to see that we are standing in the grace of God. Amen. We're Amen. standing in the grace of God. And for that, we can, as the verse in Romans 1, 2 says, we can exult in hope of the glory of God. We've learned about the glory of God in this class before, where it's his character, it's his attributes. And in the hope of his character and his attributes, we can have joy. Let me leave you with this last thought today. You have been justified and forgiven. You're a new creature. You are beyond reproach. You are blameless and holy and reconciled because of Christ Jesus. So let's walk in the significance of that. Let's look at our lives and the decisions and choices we make and see how they are living that out. Too often we can look at this list and our pride can get in the way. Mm -hmm. We can look at this list and go, oh wow, I'm blameless. I am holy. I am righteous. I am forgiven. 
I am all these things. Look at me. But it's not me. It's only because I am standing in Christ that I am these things. So if our focus remains that we are in Christ and in Christ we are these things, then we will remain humble. Then we will remain in a position of allowing him to work in and through us. Do others see us live out that knowledge? I hope so. We've been forgiven so much, you and I, and it, I would um, hope that others would know that there's a difference in us, that we are a new creature, that we're not the same mm -hmm. as what everyone else would react or do. That is the goal, and that is the prayer. Father God, you did all of this for us to reconcile us to bring us forgiveness because, Lord God, we so desperately needed it in our sinful state. I thank you that Christ was willing to have our sins imputed to him. There was nothing we could do about him, Lord. We were hopeless without him. But we stand in this grace that you have blessed us with, with such joy over the fact that you have done everything needed to restore and to reconcile a relationship with us. I praise you, Father, that you are a God that provides everything we need pertaining to this life and godliness. Help us to walk in that godliness, Lord. Help us to know when to move and when to stay and help us to know when to speak and when to be still. Help us by either your spirit to just be who you want us to be. Lord God, we just praise you so much for the fact that you love us and have forgiven us. You have justified us and reconciled us. Thank you that in Christ we are blameless and above reproach because, Lord God, we need you so bad badly in our lives. I pray that you would walk with each one of these ladies that are here, that you would help them to walk as one of yours because you love her dearly too. And I just thank you so much for our time together. Pray your blessing on the rest of our day and on our services tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.